0: Two. First John chapter 2. Pastor Joe's out of town this uh, weekend. He's getting some rest and he asked me to teach. And so the last time I was here with you and I taught, I taught from 1 John chapter 1. And so, we'll, I, you know, the Lord showed me, go into chapter 2. Um, this is also what we're covering in the uh, youth ministry. <clears throat> But before we get into the study, let's uh, let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for this time. But Father, we do pray, Lord, that we would pause tomorrow in honor of Memorial Day to honor those men and women who died in the service for our country, Lord, to for our freedoms, Father, for the freedom of speech and the freedom to proclaim your name here without um, any uh, repercussions, Lord. Father, we pray, Lord, that this would remain so, Lord, that we would continue to speak your word and truth. And if not, Lord, may we speak it anyways, Lord. May we honor you with our speech, with your word. May it impact us and impact this world, Lord. So, Father, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I entitled this message this morning, uh, Does It Match Up? And one of the things we we have to see in scripture is, does our lives match up with the word of God? Does our ministry line up with the word of God? In chapter one, we see John, he didn't want those under his care. He cared about them. It's called pastoral care. The pastor, John, was an older man at this time, he was well into his 90s, and he cared for the next generation that he was going to leave behind. He he knew he was going to go to the Lord. And he didn't want those under his care to be misinformed about the person of Jesus, because at this time there were many Jesuses, many false Jesus, and... John, as the pastor, didn't want the people under him to be, number one, misinformed. Because when you're misinformed, then you're misled. And then you will miss out on what God has for you. And what happens is they're making a God after their own image. Another following another Jesus. And when this happens, and this was happening during the time of, of, of John... There are many false Jesus as there are many false Jesuses today. Many people make Jesus of their own mind, thinking that he's okay with certain things and certain sins, and they justify their behavior uh, and saying, My Jesus is okay with it. Well, that they're making a false God. When we do this, or when God's people do this and they have follow a wrong Jesus. It leads to a false sense of security, thinking that one day you will enter into heaven by your own good works or by your standards or believing in this so-called other Jesus. And on the day of judgment, it will not help you. So John really cared about the people under his care. Why? Because in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, the Bible says it is appointed for man to die once, then the judgment. We're all going to die. We're all going to stand before God on the day of judgment. So John cared about the people. He didn't want them to be misinformed. He didn't want them to miss out. He didn't want them to meander hopelessly or aimlessly. He didn't want them to be misguided and have a miscalculation when it came to where you're going to spend eternity. It's very important that we know where we go. He wanted to make sure that they were right with God on that day. In Psalms chapter 89 verse 15 it says, "Blessed are the people who know the who know the joyful sound. They walk in the Lord and in the light of his countenance, Listen to Psalms 119, 105. It says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We need to meditate on these things. We need to stay on the road and stay in his light of his countenance. We need to meditate and think about these things. And here John says in chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. He says, my little children, I write these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He, and he himself is a propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. You see, John here had a parental pastoral care for the people. He, was pers- he felt personally responsible for the people, as Pastor Joe is, and my, me too. We're responsible for you. We're... And here, the reason why John was sharing so passionately is because he cared for the church. He wanted the best for the church. He wanted the best for them in this world, but also in the world to come. And he called them his little children. His children. He said this again in 1 John chapter 3, verse 18. John says, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but also in deed by truth, by our actions. John was telling these Christians under his care. Paul had the same attitude when it came to God's people and God's care. Listen to what he says in Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. Paul, Paul said, Oh, my dear children, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains again for you. And they will continue it until Christ is fully developed in our lives. In other words, it isn't easy being a minister. But they're going to keep doing it. They're going to keep teaching and nurturing Peter also had the same picture. He described new believers, new believers as newborn babes. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, he says, As newborn babes, the church should desire the sincere milk of the word that they may grow. That's the only thing that's going to cause us to grow spiritually is the word of God. So you have these ministers, they really cared About God's people to tell them the truth. About righteousness and sin. Why? Because it's important. Also James the half brother of the Lord. Said in James chapter 3. My brethren. He's speaking to the church. Let not many of you become teachers. Knowing that you will receive a stricter judgment. God will hold teachers and pastors. Accountable for what they teach on the day of judgment. John, as well as the other apostles, wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit concerning the biggest problem. Your biggest problem. My biggest problem. And the world's biggest problem. And our biggest problem is sin. Our biggest problem is sin. We have a sin problem. And here John writes to them, my little children, I write so that you may not sin. Why it's important. All the problems that we see in the world, all the hurt, all the confusion, all the pain, all the ugly conditions that we see are a direct result of sin, not doing things God's way. All the wrong that we see, all the hurt, all the sorrow, all the evil that we see is a result of sin. You see, we live in a fallen world that's ripe for judgment. We're ripe for judgment. Number two, we live in amongst a people, a fallen people, and a sinful people. People are sinful. And number three, we're fallen. We're fallen. We blow it. Even as Christians, we blow it. How do we know this? Because in the previous chapter, in verses 9 through 10, in 1 John chapter 1, verses 9 through 10, John speaking to the church, he says... If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say, speaking to the church, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So we blow it. We we live in a fallen world. We live amongst fallen people. And we're fallen. We blow it. We need to make things right. We're going to blow it from time to time. And time, in the times we're not listening to the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit will convict us when we do wrong. He should convict us. If we don't have no conviction, there's a problem. And we're getting away with sin, there's a problem. And when we don't listen to the Holy Spirit, sometimes God will even bring new uh, non-believers into your life to get your attention when you sin. Sometimes they will put you on blast, saying, and you're supposed to be a Christian. You see, they know how you're supposed to live, and when you don't, they will point it out. How do I know? It's happened to me, and you're supposed to be a Christian. And you have that attitude, and you're supposed to be a Christian. See, the Holy Spirit's working in your life, but you're ignoring Him, so God will send somebody else to rebuke you. We need to listen. See, see Jesus is perfect, and we're not. But that's no excuse for sinful Christian behavior. That's no excuse. We, we shouldn't sin. But if you know that you're doing something sinful... Ask God for help. Ask Him for strength because you're struggling. And don't continue in that sinful behavior like it's no big deal. Or be comfortable in it. Saying, it's just the way I am. This is just the way I am. No, it's not. You need to change, the Bible says. We need to repent. We need to ask the Lord to forgive us of our sins. And He says here, If you say you have not sinned, basically you're calling God a liar. You're calling God a liar. And here in chapter 2, John is making the point not to make a practice of sin. Don't make sin a practice. And practice is like drilling. It's a repetitive motion of a particular thing, doing it over and over and over again. But again, John here says, I write to you that you may not sin. Don't make a practice of sin, Christian. In Romans chapter 13, verse 14, it says, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Don't make provisions for your flesh to fulfill its lust. You see, we're not to, to give sin forethought. We're not to give sin forethought or plan sin in our minds. This is where one makes provisions for sinful behaviors in our thought life and then it becomes action. But it's already sinful in here when we're playing on it. We need to guard our hearts. We need to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for our flesh to fulfill its lust. Paul speaking to the church. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean? But here in the second part here, John says in verse one, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Now, John calls Jesus an advocate, an advocate is one who pleads another's cause before the judge, a pleader. To defend the offend to defend the offender. We've blown it before God. We're guilty before God. But Jesus is pleading our case. We're guilty. And here John calls them Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, the righteous. You see, Jesus is blamelessly, blame, he blamelessly kept the whole law. He blamelessly kept the whole law. He was perfect. He was sacrificed as the perfect lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And in verse 2 it says, And he himself is our propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. The word propitiation means appeasing. He satisfied the payment for our sins. He paid the price. The payment for our sin is God's wrath. Sin, the consequences of sin is God's wrath. You see, sin is not something we should take lightly. It's God's wrath. A lot of people don't want to talk about the wrath of God. Jesus talked about the wrath of God. Either you pay the price or Jesus pays the price for you. And Jesus made the payment for our sins. He was punished for our sins and the wrath of God was poured on Jesus like water. It was poured out on Jesus. For we see this in John chapter 3 and verse 36. It says he who believes on the son or trusts Son. That word believe is not just an intellectual belief, but a trust in Jesus for salvation. He who believes on the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe on the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. In other words, Jesus pays the price for you, or you pay the price yourself for your sin on the day of judgment. So Jesus paid the price for the wrath and the penalty of our sin on the cross. And not ours only, it says here, but also for the unbelieving world too. Man, that's God's love. He was sub- Jesus is a substitutional sacrifice in our place on the cross. He made the provisions for us to go to heaven. He made available and he made this available to us or for us before we even got saved. And it's applied to us when we repent of our sins and our, we put our faith and trust on what he did on the cross. You see, it is his demonstration this is a demonstration of God's love for the lost. God loves lost people. God loves the sinner but the sinner needs to repent. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. He says, But God demonstrates his own love towards us while we were sinners. Christ died for us. Praise the Lord. He didn't die for good people because we're not good people. We're sinful. We're sinners. We missed the mark of moral perfection. That's why God himself came down to die in our place. Because we were destined for wrath and hell. But thanks be to God that he came to save us. But John also calls G- him Jesus the Christ the righteous. And many people believe, have this belief that Jesus was a rebel, that he rebelled against religion and Judaism. But you know, Jesus followed the law blamelessly, he was perfect. He fulfilled all the law. He fulfilled the law perfectly. They couldn't accuse him of doing anything wrong. And he is also the fulfillment of Bible prophecy in the Old Testament prophets. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 verse 17, Do not think that I came to destroy the law and the prophets. I did not come to destroy it, but to fulfill it. You see, Jesus is God incarnate. 100% God, yet 100% man. Perfect. Jesus never sinned. He, He did everything right. And when we repent of our sins and put our faith and trust in Him and what He did on the cross, His perfect righteousness is put to our account. We put on His righteousness. We repent of sin and put on His righteousness. It's interesting in Revelations chapter 19, verse 13, when Jesus comes back, the Bible says he was clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And his name is the word of God, Jesus. We see this in John chapter one. He's coming back in a robe dipped in blood. But in Revelations chapter seven and verse 14, it says that those who come back with Jesus will have their wa- their. Their robes wash white in the blood of the lamb, which is the righteousness of Christ. We're clothed in Christ's righteousness. We go to heaven on God's righteousness, not because we're good people, because he's his goodness gives us access into heaven. Jesus said to get it, get into heaven. We need to be perfect. And We all miss the mark. We all fall short. And. The disciples were astonished when Jesus said this. They they said Jesus' standards were too high. Listen to Matthew chapter 19 verse 25. And when the disciples heard it, what Jesus was talking about, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? The inference is, we can't save ourselves. We can't save ourselves. We can't save people. Jesus saves people. Jesus said, as he looked at them, he said, with men, it is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And God, Jesus made the way. He said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man comes to the father except through me. And John wrote in John 17, verse 23. And he, when he prayed in the garden of Gethsemane and the night in which he was betrayed, he prayed to the father, Father, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me and I have loved them as you have loved me. Man, we have a great advocate. Man, we have a great substitution in Jesus so here, Jesus is our Savior. He's our advocate. He's our propitiation. He's the one who makes us right between us and the Father. His righteousness makes us right with God. We just simply repent. So when we die, we go to heaven not of, our, of anything we have done nor of our good works or how good we think we are we solely enter in through the blood sacrifice of what he did on the cross. That's why sin is no joke. He died for us. And in verse 3 through 5, he says, And now by this we know that we know him. For here it is, Christian. For by this we, we know that we know him. But listen up. It isn't enough To have an intellectual knowledge of who Jesus is. That won't save us. I can't just have an intellectual knowledge of who Jesus is. I have to have a personal relationship with him. And that relationship needs to affect my life and my walk. He says, now by this you know that we know him if you keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, Jesus, and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word. Truly, the love of God is perfected in him. And by this, we know that we are in him. Heavy stuff. Here we see that there should be evidence of a relationship with God, the father, through knowing Jesus Christ personally and having a personal relationship with him. There should be evidence in my life. That's what the Bible says. You see, we live in a day and age where we hear a lot of Christian cliches nowadays. Christian cliches, just the things that we say. Wherever two or three are gathered there in the midst, we say things like that. It says that in the Bible, but it's become a cliche. Or some might say, wow, that was an awesome service. God showed up. That's a cliche. God doesn't show up. God's omnipresent. He's there all the time. He's there all the time. It doesn't matter if there's one or two. That's speaking of the church gathering. I'm not a church when I'm alone, but when I'm with my brothers and sisters, we're the church. And a lot of times people use those as cliches. People even have the cliche of saying, you know, I don't, have to follow the commandments since we're not under the law, we're under grace. It does say that in the Bible. We're, we're not under the law, we're under grace. But Paul wrote in Romans chapter 6, verse 14 through 15, and he said, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin? Sin? because we are not under the law, but under grace, he says, certainly not. Certainly not. And a lot of times we use this verse as a cliche to get away with sin. I'm not under the law. I'm not, you know, I'm under grace. And we continue sinning. We are taught in scripture that sin, Christian, sin will have dominion over you if you give yourself to it. Sin will... Affect how you live and how you walk. When you give yourself to it. Listen to the psalmist. In Psalms chapter 119, 133. He prayed to the Lord and he said, Lord, direct my steps by your word and let not iniquity have dominion over me. You see, the psalmist was uh, praying. He knew that directing his steps in the manner of life after the pattern of God's word was beneficial to to him. And in not doing so would lead to, lead to sin having dominion over his life. So when we're not walking according to God's word, we're walking in our sinful ways, sin will have dominion over you, power over you. Why? Because you're not walking according to God's word. Sin will have dominion, it'll have power over your life. This is serious stuff to God. You see, we can't take sin lightly. We can't ignore it. We can't think of it as no big deal. Why? Because sin is our greatest foe. It blinds us, the Bible says, into thinking that we're okay with God when we're not. We're thinking we're okay with God when we're not. We can continue in sin and it'll blind you, it'll numb you, thinking that you're okay with God in sin, and in good standing with Him, and you're not. And you're not. But keeping His commandments is still important. Keeping His commandments is still important. We need to understand what Scripture is talking about here because in the Bible there are laws. There are dietary laws we see in the Old Testament. If you keep them, you'll probably be more healthy, but if you choose to break them Probably, you're going to probably have poor health. That's your choice. We have civil law in the Bible. It still applies. Civil law is like, you know, if my dog bites you, I have to pay restitution. The civil law still applies in the Old Testament to today's laws. It's still good for you. We still practice it. We still practice it with disputes of property and, it still stands. but the moral law, does the moral law still stand? You think of, I think of the Ten Commandments. Should God still be first in our life? It says that he should be first in our life. Absolutely, God should be first. shall have no other gods before me. And sometimes we put so many things before God. We make an image of God to think He's okay with my sin or my sinful behavior. That's the second commandment. Don't make an image of God after your own likeness. Is using God's name in vain a problem? Using God's name, OMG, GD, Jesus Christ in, an, in a filthy way, is that still wrong? Absolutely it's wrong. We should have reverence for God and respect and honor Him. He's holy. Should we still set apart a day for rest and worship? As the fourth commandment says, absolutely. Absolutely. We see Jesus did it. Is it still beneficial to honor our our fathers and our mothers? Absolutely. Respect in the home. Is it still wrong to murder? Yes, it's still wrong. It's wrong, Jesus said, even if you hate somebody, that's wrong. It's a violation. Is adultery still wrong? You cheat on your wife, see what happens. Or cheat on your husband, see what happens. Yes, it's wrong, and God will hold you accountable. Even thinking about it. Is lying still wrong? Is stealing still wrong? Lying's still wrong. You see, we, and and you know what? Today, we can't even trust the news or politicians. No more. Why? Because everyone's lying. Everyone's lying for their own great, their own gain. Is coveting still wrong? Absolutely it's wrong. It's the inward thought that leads to many of these simple actions. It's harmful. So do we keep the commandments? Absolutely. We need to. It's a moral standard. What here, what here, when it says we're not under the law, we're under grace, it's speaking of the ceremonial laws having to do with sin. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. No more sacrifices are needed to be made. He fulfilled the law. When we die, Revelation chapter 21, verse 8 says, But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the sexual immoral, the murderers and sorcerers, those who practice witchcraft, idolaters, those who make an image of God in their own likeness, and all liars shall have their place and their part in the lake of fire which burns with brimstone. This is the second death. So God will judge us by the moral law. We're still judged by the moral law. Sin is still a problem. But Paul was speaking about the sacrificial laws having to do with sin. And Jesus was the foreshadow and the end and the fulfillment of the sacrificial law is what he's talking about here. But do we know him? Do we know Jesus? Do we know him personally? Is there evidence seen in you By the way you live, are you keeping and walking and living according to his word? You know, last night I went to the store. We just went to the marriage fellowship. I had a tag on my, they gave me a tag to put on and and it said Pastor Tony. And I walked into a store and I was walking around and, uh, um, you know, went to the checker, you know, met a couple people along the way. And I went to the checker and we were talking and she said, oh, hi, Pastor Tony. And I was like, well, how'd she know? You know, I, like, oh, I had a tag. It said, Pastor Tony. But is my conduct befitting the tag that I was wearing in the store? Was my, is my attitude and my treatment of people worthy of the tag that I was wearing? But think about it this Like this, Christian. We should walk. Could we walk around with a tag that says, I'm a Christian on it? And does the tag match what God's word says about how a Christian should walk? Think about that. Does that tag you wear say, this is how a Christian should live and walk. I pray so. Because here it says, by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Wow, let me repeat that. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. God said it, not me. That's where you have to stand with God personally. Do you know him? Are you walking according to his ways? If you're not, we need to get right. We need to say, God, forgive me. Help me. Do a work of your spirit in me. We need to know him personally. We all know who the president of the United States is. But do we know him personally? At least I don't know him personally. I have a knowledge of who the president is, but I do not have a personal relationship with him. we got to ask ourselves the question, do we know Jesus like the president, as one who exists, a figure in time, who lives outside our daily relationship with him? It says, by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. That's why we as Christians need to be in the word so that we know how to live. To see if we match up. And if we don't, Christian, if you don't match up, we need to make the proper adjustments. And being in God's word is the only way we get to know Jesus personally. For Verse 4 says, He who says, I know him, does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. So if you say you know God and you're not living according to his word, God says you're a liar. See, sin is deceptive. Sin is deceptive. Sin is alluring. We see this at the beginning in in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 13. Eve was deceived. Sin is decepting. We see... The sin of anger and pride is deceptive. We see this in, in Jeremiah chapter forty nine sixteen. And anger has deceived you, and pride, the pride of your heart has deceived you. We need to be careful of self deception. Obadiah chapter one, verse three says, The pride of your heart has deceived you. The pride of your heart has deceived you. We can be self deceived and in sin. And thinking we have a relationship with God, and we're okay with God, we need to pray. Anger, pride, our hearts are deceitful. Someone said, and they texted me this morning. Someone said, "Pride is the only disease known to man that makes everyone ex- everyone sick except the person who has it." Let me read that again. Pride is the only disease known to man that makes everyone else sick except the person who has it. We need to be careful about pride, our conduct, envy, jealousy. These things could deceive us and rob us. In Titus chapter 3 and verse 3, it says, For we ourselves, speaking to Christians, we ourselves were once, past tense, Foolish, disobedient, deceived, and serving various lusts and pleasures. Living in malice and envy. Hateful and hating one another. still happens in the church. We still have Christians that hate each other. Still have problems with each other. Still treating each other wrong. But here it says past tense. We need to be careful of jealousy and envy. They're deceiving. But here in verse 5 it says, But whoever keeps the word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. And by this we know that we are in him. Again, John going to the evidence of your walk and your manner of life. Truly the love of God is perfected in him, the believer. Here referring to the work of God in the believer. The believer is made perfect or complete by inward work of God himself. And in verse 6, it says, And he who says he abides in him also ought to walk just as he walked. We need to walk like Jesus, it says. The word abide means to remain in terms of a personal relationship or right standing with God. And John has a lot to say about how a Christian should be. Listen to 1 John chapter 1, verses 6-7. to If we say we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6 says, Now he who says he abides in Him, in Jesus, ought himself also to walk as he has walked. Second John chapter one, verse six. Now this love that we, this is love, that we walk according to His commandments, and this is the commandment that you have heard from the beginning that you should walk in it. And in Third John chapter one, verses three through four, John said, "For I rejoice greatly, my brethren, and came and testified of the truth that is in you. Just as you've walked in the truth, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. He's not talking about, he's talking about the church. I have no greater joy than than these, my children, walk in God's truth. Why? Because they're better off. They're ready for eternity. But on the contrast, the Bible does warn us concerning our walk. We see this in Jude, verses 18. It says... Uh, they, It says they t- they told you that there will be mockers in the last time who will walk according to their own godly lusts. And there's those in the church and pastors who walk according to their own go- ungodly lust. lust. It's dangerous. Does our walk model Christ? Or does it model the mockers? Am I walking according to... God's word, or am I walking according to my own God, ungodly lust? So many Christians today justify their own ungodly lust. But are we abiding in Him? Are we walking just like He walked? In what manner of Christ's life? How did Christ live? He walked according to the Word, blamelessly. He prayed. He depended upon the Father. He did what was right and He pleased the Father even though things got difficult and unpopular. He walked according to the Word. In verse 7-11, through it says, Our faith will be put to the test to see if it's genuine. You call yourself a Christian, your faith is going to be put to the test. He says, Brethren, I write no... New commandment to you, but an old commandment that which you had from the beginning, the old commandment is this which you've heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true and in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Verse nine. He who says he's in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause of stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because darkness has blinded his eyes. You see, hating and unforgiveness is not good. It's darkness. You know, Jesus told a story. But he said in Matthew chapter 18, verse 35, That we're to forgive each other when we're wrong. God has forgiven us. He told a story in, in in Matthew chapter eighteen, verses twenty-one through thirty-five. I'll encourage you to read it when you get a chance. But the story is of a king who forgave somebody a great deal of debt, and that's speaking of us. God has forgiven us. He's having mercy on us. He's forgiven us so many uh, of our sins. Free. And it speaks of another servant after he's forgiven by the king, goes out and he can't forgive somebody who's offended him. And in Matthew chapter 18, verse 35, he says, You wicked and evil servant, I have forgave you so much of your trespasses, but you can't forgive your brother who's blown it with you. See, we will, we'll be put to the test. Why why is sin to others so important? How we treat our brothers and sisters in Christ so important? Or how we treat people in the world? How Why is it so important? James tells us in James chapter 3 verses 9 to 10 that because God created us in his likeness, so when we offend people, we're offending God. God takes it personally. That's why when Saul of Tarsus was killed, of hurting and persecuting the church. Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? God took it personally. You see, the difficulties we have in family, in ministry, in the workplace, these difficulties reveal our walk. What manner of life? We're put to the test with difficult people. We're going to be put to the test. Divisions and schisms reveal our walk and our spiritual maturity. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 18-19, through 19, it says, First of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And in part, I believe it, Paul said. For there must be also fractions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. The New Living Testament puts it like this. But of course, there's going to be divisions among you so that you will know those who have God's approval will be that they will be recognized. But it also shows us our character. You see, sin blinds our eyes. Sin blinds our eyes. You know, there was no hope for me but God. God intervened in my life. God can change us. God can change humanity. The lost. He loves them. We need to ask God to change us. We need to ask God to change the things in the world. He's the only one who could change them and transform them. But in verses 12 through 14 speaks of us as maturing as Christians and we should mature as Christians. It's sad if we never change. It's sad if we never grow in the grace and the knowledge of God and grow to maturity. You see, salvation is a work of God but so is transformation. But we need to say, God, change me. And in verses 15 through 16, we are warned as a church not to have misplaced affections. We could be loving the world more than we're loving God. And this happens when we're more inclined to listen or yield to our own pleasures rather than God's word. And in verse 15, it says, do not love the world nor the things in the world. If you love the world, the love of the father is not in you. For it is of the world and the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world and the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. You see, judgment's coming. And in John chapter 3, verse 19, it says, this is the condemnation that that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than life, light because their deeds are evil. Sin blinds. Sin condemns. Sin hardens your heart. Sin will affect your understanding and your ability to think clearly. Everyone, the Bible says, everyone practicing sin. Evil hates the light and does not come to the light. lest his deeds be exposed. So I'll leave you with this. I'll leave you with a few. Don't be. Christian, don't be misinformed about Jesus. Get in the word. Christian, don't be misled by your own desires. Your, your anger, jealousy, envy, strife, lust, whatever it might be. Don't let it mislead you. Don't let sin mislead you. It will dominate you and take you off course. And it'll subdue you. It'll destroy you. Christian, don't be misled by your desires. And Christian, don't miss out. Don't miss out on the work that God wants to do in your life. A lot of times we we think that we're okay. You know what? 30 years walking with the Lord I still need to change I still need the work of the Holy Spirit in my life and so if I know that I you need I need change you need change I need to change and the problem is is when we don't recognize that we need change and that we don't go to God to change my heart because I'll still be in that wretched mess I won't grow I'll miss out on the inward work of the Holy Spirit in my life. Make sure you're not making God in your own, own image. Thinking God is okay with your sin. We need, if you're in sin, repent. And don't meander in this life. Don't walk away with a false insecurity that one day you will enter heaven by your own good works or your own goodness. Because you won't. Don't make that mistake. If you're not right with God, get right right now. Hebrews chapter 9, 27 says, It is pointed for men to die once, then the judgment. Don't be misguided because the world will lead you in the wrong way. Don't follow the world. Don't be misguided by your anger, your pride, your lust. And make sure If things don't match up in your life according to the Word, make sure that you get right with God today. And if you fail the test of what we just read, ask for help. If you're falling short, ask for help. And another opportunity to make things right with God and with others. Psalms... 89, verse 15 says, Blessed are the people who know who know the joyful sound. They walk, O Lord, in the light of your continents. Lord, may your word be a light unto our feet and a light unto our path. Father, may we meditate on you, the things that we've seen and we heard here this morning. Father, continue to do a work of your spirit, Lord. May our lives match up with your word. May you do a supernatural work in each one of us by your Holy Spirit. May the word guide us. May we walk according to it. May the love of Christ be in our hearts and the power of God working in our lives. Have your way, Lord. Father, may we not be the same From this time forth until you come. May we be faithful until you come. In Jesus name we pray. Amen.